congregation. It may be that you have questions in regard to your salvation and what you need to do according to God's Word about the Bible. We'd love to sit down with you and and show you from God's Word the things that it has to say about what you and I need to do in order to have salvation from the Lord. You know, as we think about people, people sometimes think about how that they could uh, wish that they were God. They, they, they would like to be God for a day or for a week or for a year or whatever. And I just want to ask you this morning, would, would you like to be God? I, I'm not sure this being God is the easiest thing. You know, I, I would probably ask you, if you were God, what would you do? Well, there are a lot of people who believe that they're God or would like to be God. And you ask them what they would do if they were God. And there are some common answers that are given uh, let's look at two or three of them this morning. If you were God or somebody says, if I were God, then I'd get rid of all the pain and suffering in the world. Well, you know, when I think about God, I, I think about this God who's offering us the end of pain and suffering in eternity. We may live here on this earth to be a hundred years old and, and we're going to live eternally forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I could go on forever and, and we'd never uh, get to the end of it. But, but which one would you rather have? A few years free of pain and suffering or an eternity free of pain and suffering? God is offering us the end of pain and suffering. Somebody else says, well, you know what? If I were God, I'd bring peace to the world. Well, let's think about God for a second. Numerous times in the New Testament, God is referred to simply as the God of peace. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, at verse 33, Paul wrote about God. He said, God is not the God of confusion, but the God of peace. And in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, at verse 14, He Himself, talking about Jesus... He Himself is our peace. And you keep going and, and you see in verse 17 that He came and preached peace to the world. In Colossians 3 verse 15, the Bible says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And then finally in Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 14, we are urged to strive for peace with everyone because that is God's way, the way of peace. And so to say that you would bring peace to the world would be to force peace upon the world. And that brings us probably to our next one, and that is simply I'd create everybody equal. Well, the last time I checked, people are all born. Everyone starts out as, as a little baby. And you know, what we become depends upon our life choices, sometimes upon the choices of others and, and the things that they do. But we all start on the same ground but what we do with ourselves and what we allow other people to do to us, uh, that sometimes causes us either to gain or to lose ground. But all of us have God as our Father. And we are all children of God in one sense, in the sense that we were created as, uh, by Him. Well, I, I would force everyone just to do right. No matter what it is, I'd force them to do right. Well, you know what? If people did not have the choice to do what's wrong, then they would not have the choice to do what's right. There would be, therefore, no choice. We would have no freedom of choice. And so we'd simply be a robot. Uh, we wouldn't be mechanical. We'd be uh, biological. God could create us that way. But, but, but God could say, you know, I don't want anybody ever to sin. And so I could, made it, I could have made it where it was impossible, but you would have had no choice. 
you would have had no choice either to, to obey or to disobey. And so, you know, I like the idea of choice. I like the, the ability to choose the things that I do here in this life. And so I would simply say this, it's not as easy being God as we might think. Because sometimes the choices that we would make as God, you know, if we were God, might not be the right ones or the best ones. Well, you say, well, God always makes the right choice, and I would agree with you. And so he's always done it just right. And he himself is doing the best job that anyone ever could do. But I want to think this morning, keeping that on our mind as we go through our lesson, I want to think about Joseph for a little while this morning. Probably everybody here is at least somewhat familiar with the story of Joseph. You know, he was the, the guy, the son of a man by the name of Jacob who, who had the coat of many colors. Now, I didn't realize that Dolly Parton sang about the coat of many colors, but that's not, not the same one. We're talking about Joseph here in the Bible who, whose father Jacob made him a coat because he, he, he looked at Joseph and he considered him to be one of his special children because he was the, the son of his uh, beloved wife, Rachel. And so he had, he made some distinctions between him and the rest of his children. But you know what? Later on, Joseph became a dreamer and he revealed his dreams not only to his brothers, but also to his father. And, and, uh, you know, they began to look down upon him because he said that one day his father and his brothers would all bow down to him. Now, I can see where that would be a problem with some, you know, when, when, when there's sibling rivalry between uh, families and between those members of the family. And, and one who says, you know, I'm going to be uppity or I'm going to be greater than you are, I can see where that could bring trouble. But, you know, as we look at the Bible, we know that it did. And so these brothers, when the first occasion that they had an opportunity, you know what they did? They took their own brother Joseph and they sold him to some Ishmaelites who were passing through who took him down to Egypt and sold him to a man by the name of Potiphar. And, and you know, as you continue going through the story, we understand that Joseph is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's put into prison and, and he's uh, forgotten there by uh, some, some guys who, or at least one guy who, uh, that uh, Joseph had interpreted a dream for, and, and he's left in prison. We know that eventually Pharaoh has a dream, and Joseph interprets that dream, and Joseph gets out of prison, and Joseph, because of his ability to interpret the dream of Pharaoh, and because he was able to foresee the fact that, that they needed to prepare for a famine, he eventually, of course, becomes second in command in the place called Egypt. He was second only to, to Pharaoh. You know, that's the story of Joseph in a, in a nutshell. But as we think about Joseph, we know that he did because of the uh, ability that God had given him to interpret the dream. He made it possible for them to store up enough for, for a long famine. And sure enough, it was during that famine that, that Joseph's own brothers made their way down to Egypt. And not knowing that it was Joseph, they themselves had to bow down to him. And they bowed down to him, and he sold them the grain that they needed. And of course, eventually, uh, through a long process, if you will, they moved down to Egypt. They brought their father down there, and of course, he himself had to submit himself to Joseph as well. And so, again, that's the basis of the story of Joseph in a, in a nutshell. 
But there came a time in the life of Joseph when his father passed away. Joseph loved his father very much, just as Joseph's father Jacob loved him. But there came a time when, when Jacob died. And, and when you turn to the pages of God's Word in, in Genesis chapter 49, verses 29 through 32, we find the, the end of the life of Jacob, and he has his sons together, he calls them together, and he gives them some final instructions. He, he blesses them, each one, and, and then he gives the final instructions. He says, you know, I want to... I want to be buried in my homeland. I want to go back to Canaan. I, I want you to bury me there where the rest of my family is buried. Well, Joseph's father dies. They get permission from Pharaoh and they carry Jacob's body, his embalmed body, back and they bury it according to the book of Genesis chapter 50 verses 1 through 4. And that brings us to the basis of our lesson today. Beginning in Genesis chapter 50 at verse 15, the Bible says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Now you think about what they had done. They had sold him to the Ishmaelites, who in turn had sold him to the Egyptians. And when he got down to Egypt, he found himself in prison. All of these things that we just mentioned. They began thinking about that. And pretty much it seems what they did is they put themselves in the place of Joseph. And they said, if I were Joseph and all of my brothers had done to me what we did to him, here's what I would do. I'd get revenge. I'd come back and I would pay you back. And so you think about that, that's rolling around in the mind of all of Joseph's brothers. Look at verses 16 and 17. They want to head this off, and so they send a messenger, the Bible says, to Joseph. And they said, now, let's bring Daddy back. Not that we can bring him back alive, but let's make sure that Joseph understands what Daddy said before he died. Daddy said, he gave this command... Uh, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive them. The father that, that Joseph loved so much and that loved Joseph so much, you know, they're bringing him back before him, as it were, his own words. And, and, and you know, they think that will persuade Joseph not to act in a, in a bad way toward them. It's as though his father that he loved so much is, is begging him to forgive the actions of the, his brothers. Well, the Bible says, And now please forgive the transgression of the servant of God, your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. It did have an effect on him. But Joseph already had it in his heart not to take revenge on them, as we'll see in just a moment. But we keep reading verse number 18. Not only did they send messengers and give Joseph this message, notice what the brothers themselves did. The Bible says in verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we're your servants. Daddy, in his words, we sent messengers. To, he, he begged you to forgive us and now we're doing the same. We're humbling ourselves before you, bowing ourselves down before you. I wonder if they remembered that dream that Joseph had had so long before. 
Now they're fulfilling it themselves. They'd already done it when they bowed down before him when they came to buy the grain. But now they're doing it even again of their own accord. We're bowing down before you. And we know who it is this time. They didn't know at the first that it was Joseph that they were bowing down to when they came to buy the grain. Now they know. And they're bowing themselves down to him. So they're begging him, don't, don't do anything. To... Did Joseph have the power? Yes. The only one more powerful in Egypt was who? Pharaoh. Joseph was number two. And so he could have done what he, what he wished to them. He, he could have said, all right, you can't have any more grain. You can't have any more food. You starved to death, as far as I'm concerned. But that's not in Joseph's heart. Verse 19, Joseph replies to them and he said, do not fear. And he asked the question, am I in the place of God? You know, if you've been with us this year, we're looking at various Bible questions, Sunday mornings questions that are found actually in the Word of God. Sunday nights, we're looking at questions that folks in the pews have asked. But this serves as the basis for our question this morning. Joseph asked it, am I in the place of God? As we look at that and we think about it, uh, there's something that really jumps out to me. And that's where we'll start filling in the blanks on your sermon sheet this morning, on the back of the bulletin, if I go the right way. Joseph understood that God occupies a place that no man is qualified to fill. Joseph knew something about God. He knew. Now, look at verse number 20 of Genesis chapter 50 in your own Bible. The Bible says there, As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. They're, they're begging Joseph, don't hurt us because of what we've done. Joseph says you've done evil, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are this day. Folks, there is no doubt that the brothers of Joseph intended harm against him. No doubt. They at first wanted to kill him. And, and one of the brothers talked them out of it. They intended harm. Notice, if you will, back up in verse 15, that they say it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back. Now, this is, these are the words of the brothers. For all the evil that we have done to him. They realized they had done wrong. Joseph realized they had done wrong. Joseph's father, Jacob, also realized they had done wrong. Look at verse 17 again. In verse 17, the father said, Jacob said, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Joseph knows it. The brothers know it. Jacob knows it. They all did what was wrong against Joseph. All these terrible things that Joseph endured, they weren't just imagined. They were real. Joseph really went through all of the things that, that befell him. His life was not easy. It was hard being a servant, being a prisoner. And it was all real. Every day Joseph lived it. And he lived with the fact that he was a, a slave and then a prisoner. 
at the hands of his own brothers. They were the ones who caused it. All of it was real. But even though it had, he had been wronged himself, he knew that it's not man's place to exact vengeance. Am I in the place of God? It's not my place. Yes, you did me wrong, but it's not my place to, to do evil for evil. It's not my place to pay you back. You do remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19. Paul wrote and said this, Repay no man evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And so as we look at it, even though Paul had not written those words as yet, Joseph knew whose place it was. He asked his brothers, am I in the place of God? Am I sitting here to bring vengeance on you? As New Testament Christians, we're taught by Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19, we need to be like Joseph. He doesn't mention Joseph in that passage, but what Joseph did is the example that Paul is, is giving us or what he's telling us to do. Joseph set the example. We need to be like Joseph and stop putting ourselves in the place of God to take vengeance on people. We want to get them back, don't we? Have you ever been in that place when somebody did you wrong? I'll get you back. We may not have said it out loud, but we said it in our head. We're putting ourselves in the place of God. Joseph said, I'm not going to do that. He asked it in question form, am I in the place of God? He expected an answer, no, I'm not. You know, as we think about that, notice what is said by Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 6 at verse 27. Jesus said, but I say to you uh, who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. You see, our Lord not only says that, that we're not to repay them, vengefully, but notice what else he says. Love our enemies. You know, sometimes we love only in word, don't we? We may say, all right, on the outside, well, you know, I, he's done this, I love him, but I'm not going to have anything to do with him. I just, I just won't have anything to do with him anymore because he's done me wrong. That won't work either. Did you notice what Jesus said? Do good to those who hate you. Would it be a fair assumption to say that when Joseph was younger that his brothers hated him? Now, the answer to that is, of course, yes. Do you know what Joseph did and what he said he was going to do? If you have your Bible back at Genesis chapter 50, look at verse 21. In Genesis 20, 50 at verse 21... He continues on and says to his brothers, So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph said, I'm not going to take vengeance on you. But even more than that, I am going to do good to the ones who even hated me. I'm going to do good. And again, Joseph is not mentioned in the context of what Jesus says in Luke chapter number 6. 
But Joseph is the example. He knew he was not God. He knew he was not in the place of God. But he knew what God would expect of him. Don't do bad to them, but do good to them. Folks, you know what our job is? Our job is to do good. That's our job. In the book of Luke chapter 6, if you drop on down to verse 33, Jesus continued on and he said, And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Jesus says you've got to go beyond what even the common man does. Don't just do good to the ones who love you. Do good to the ones who hate you. So no wonder Paul would say in Galatians chapter 6 at verse number 10, So then, even as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. He qualified that somewhat and said, Especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, our job is to do good. Because we're not in the place of God to decide whether we should do good or do evil. We're under obligation from God not to do vengeance, but to do good to everyone. As we think about Joseph, not only did he recognize that he was not in the place of God to cast vengeance on others, that he had the choice whether to do good or not, but he also recognized the providence of God in what happened to him. He realized that God was taking that and using it. Let me call your attention back to chapter five at verse number, or chapter fifty at verse number twenty of the book of Genesis again. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But that's not what where Joseph stopped. But God meant it for good. God meant it for good. God says, "I'm going to take what's." happening to you, Joseph, these bad things, and I'm going to take, some, take it and I'm going to make good come from it. Not just for you, but Joseph goes on and says so that uh, uh, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are this day. What we need to remember is this. When Joseph became a slave, Let me just ask a question. Where was God? When Joseph became a slave, where was God? It was a bad thing that Joseph became a slave, was it not? But where was God? You ever ask that question? God, where was God? Father, where were you? God, where were you when, when, when this bad thing happened to me? You know where God was? Look at Genesis 39, verse 21. Or 39 verse 2, rather. When he became a slave, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. Right there, God was with him when he became a slave. Where was God when he was falsely accused and put in prison? Where was he? Another bad thing happened to him. Where was God when that happened? That's down in Genesis 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. God was right there with him every step of the way. 
God didn't take away the bad things that happened to him. God just took the bad things that happened to them to him and made good things out of them. You see, all of the things that happened to Joseph were actually disguised blessings, were they not? Didn't look that way from the viewpoint that Joseph had, did it? But in reality, that's exactly what happened. In Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8, the Bible says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He, he has made me a, a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and the ruler over all the land of Egypt. You see, God meant it for good. To bring about all that many people should be kept alive. Everything that was happening to Joseph were blessings in disguise. You know, God has promised to be with us, has He not? In the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, you're on your own. Even to the end of the earth, or age. Is that what your book says? I am with you. Just like he was with Joseph. One of the verses that if you don't have this marked in your Bible, you ought to mark it. And it ought to be, ought to be one of your favorite verses as a Christian. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 13, verses 5 and 6, the writer of that book says, Keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God is with us, even in the bad times. Just like when he was with Joseph, in being a slave and being a prisoner, he is with us us. And in those blessings that we have that don't look like blessings, those disguised blessings when God is there, you know what? God can take them and work them for good even in our life. Well, that's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 at verse 28. Paul said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Folks, this verse does not teach that all things are good. Far from it. Doesn't teach that all things are good. Neither does this verse teach that all things that happen to us are the active will of God. God doesn't uh, necessarily cause bad things to happen to us. Who caused the bad things to happen to Job? You know, one reason that the book of Job is in the Bible is to show us something that goes on behind the scenes. 
when Satan himself was the one who inflicted the pain and the suffering on Job. The bad thing about it is God was getting the blame for it. By Job, by his friends, by Job's wife. And in reality, it wasn't God that was doing it. Same thing is true here. Who inflicted the sin against Joseph? Well, good friends, it was Joseph's brothers. And their evil hearts being tempted by Satan to have this animosity against their own brother. And so everything that happens to us is not the active will of God. That's not taught in, uh, in the book of Romans chapter 8 at verse 23. But what is taught is this. There, uh, well, I missed a, a thing here. It, it does teach that uh, all things that happen, uh, that uh, in spite of whatever it is that happens to us, God can and will make it work out for ultimate good. In spite of. And so if you're filling in your blanks. God was able to work all the bad things that happened to Joseph into a beautiful tapestry to bring about good. Joseph recognized the providence of God. Before we close this morning, I want us to understand that Joseph is not the only one who ever asked the question, Am I in the place of God? Joseph's own father before him had asked this very same question. If you still have your Bible open, look to Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God? Who, was, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? You see, here's a woman who is, who is both scared and angry. She's scared and angry. Uh, she's afraid that she might lose her, her husband to her sister who is now bearing him children. And, and Rachel herself is, is barren. And because she, she can't bear the children, she becomes angry. Angry with her husband. Angry with God. Now, it's a fact that there was nothing wrong with Jacob. Jacob could have children. He was having children by his other wife, by Leah. And so the problem was not with him. He was obviously able to have children. And the problem was not that he didn't love her because he loved her more than life itself. He was willing to work for 14 years for, for Rachel. And so as we look at it, you know, he, he, he didn't have, he, he had no control over it. And so like his son later, Joe, Jacob realized that there were some things over which only God can control. There's, only, there's some things that the only one who can do anything about them is God. Why become scared? Why become angry? When things don't always go our way. Why worry about things that we have no control over? You see, Joseph asked, or Jacob rather, asked that question to his wife. Am I in the place of God? We learn that from him, but we also learn 
from Joseph that I, there are some things that I cannot control. Or Jacob, rather. And then from Joseph, I must learn there are some things that I must control. I must understand that God always is good. I must understand that I'm always in submission to God. And because He is good and because I'm submission to Him, in submission to Him, I must be willing to forgive others like Joseph was willing to forgive his brothers. The ones who wronged him, he forgave just as I should forgive the ones who wronged me. I, I can't hold a, a long-term grudge against other folks just waiting for a time when I can get back at them. Folks, through the years, I have heard brothers and sisters in Christ who are in danger of losing their soul because they hold grudges. And they'll openly tell you, I don't like so-and-so, he did this to me, and if I ever get an opportunity, I'm going to pay him back. If that's your heart, and that's your thinking, then you need to make some changes in your life. We can't do that and please God. And so long ago, Joseph knew just that. There are some things I must control. My anger. I must control whether I forgive or I am in control of whether I forgive or not. But as we bring our lesson to a halt this morning, man cannot be in the place of God. One thing you need to remember is this. Although I can't be in the place of God, He still took the place of man. He came down, He lived among us, and He died for us. He loved me enough to do that because He took my place at Calvary. He took my sins. He bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by His wounds we have been healed. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Are you putting yourself in the place of God? I hope that if that's the idea that you have in your mind, because you are unwilling to forgive or unwilling to give up a grudge, or, or for whatever reason it may be that you're putting yourself in the place of God, I hope you'll take yourself off the throne this morning and submit to Him and be thankful that He came and gave His life for you. Would you be buried with Him in baptism in order to have your sins washed away by His blood? Maybe you need to know more about that. We'd love to study with you. Maybe you know what you need to do and you want to be baptized. We'll bury you this morning in Baptism with Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and there's something amiss in your life that you know you need to correct in a public way. If we can assist you, pray with you and for you, why don't you come right now as together we stand.